Hey everyone, welcome to a cognitive variety show that gets you thinking in a world that doesn't want you to. My name is Trey Jordan, and this is for your use over time. Episode three of Use Over Time. Just wanted to stop for a moment to start the day and say that I was writing something and for the life of me, I could not remember the didgeridoo. I had to use the didgeridoo as a sound in one of the screenplays I'm writing. And I was on a frenzy trying to figure out what that wooden instrument was. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it was called. A didgeridoo. And you would think that with a name like didgeridoo that you would remember it. But I didn't remember it. That has nothing to do with episode three. But I just wanted to share that with you. Because I'm talking to you. You're my audience this morning, okay? You're who I'm talking to. Everybody else just gets to hear the conversation. But I'm who you're who I'm talking to, all right? So you better get ready. I'm about to grill you with a little bit of little, little background music from the didgeridoo. All right, so let's go to... Uh, we're, we're picking back up on a third article from Robert Evans Wilson, Jr., um, and it's called Protect Yourself from Verbal Sleight of Hand. I think we alluded to sleight of hand and some of the verbal trickery that people use. If you write, uh, you'll you'll sort of begin to notice the way words flow um, with a rhythm. You know, good writing is rhythmic, and people that understand rhythmic writing and rhythmic speech can manipulate language in very interesting ways. Uh, that's the purpose of a script. You know, that, that's, that's why media sources, that's why news anchors, that's, they, they have a script for a reason. You know, um, a script is to film as music is to instruments. You know what I mean? And so we have to remember that, that uh, like episode two, if we find ourselves being triggered by certain things, uh, the nature of the, the things we hear, but also the way we hear it uh, is, is very important. So... Jumping into protecting yourself from verbal sleight of hand, don't be fooled by these rhetorical tricks that mystify and manipulate. I love that word, mystify. A few years ago, oh yeah, by the way, this was posted on March 12th, 2018 through Psychology Today. All for, The first three of these episodes all came from articles from Psychology Today, and we're going to take a different approach. We're going to introduce some graphics that sort of give you some more information. I guess it's kind of like a Russell Brand approach, you know, how he intercuts between the, the excerpts from the articles. So, and maybe drop them in the show notes, something like that. Um, anyhow, but yeah, posted March 12, 2018 and still very relevant to today. So I, I don't want anyone to think that um, this hasn't aged well because it really has. A few years ago, I wrote about a Facebook exchange among two friends of mine that upset me because one of my friends resorted to name-calling instead of addressing the other friend's arguments. In retrospect, that was mild. More recently, I've been shocked by some disturbingly excessive name-calling in the comment sections of articles I've read that was directed at other commenters. The name-calling is bad enough, but the number of people who find that to be an acceptable method for engaging in debate is appalling. No one is going to be motivated or persuaded by vitriol. Now, I actually got a dose of this today. I was looking at, um, I, I'm not big into apologetics. You know what I mean? I, I think that, um, I think it's a noble cause, obviously. I think anybody, like we've discussed, anybody that 
is willing to make a case for what they believe. Um, but I do think that in apologetics, again, going back to this, in, in, in an apologetic nature of anything you believe, not just religion, right? But there are actually a lot of, you know, verbal sleights of hand and biases and all of those things when in a contentious argument. And I was actually listening uh, or reading today comments from a Christian apologist. He, he, had, he discussed some sort of the idea of hell, all that good stuff. Um, which I have my opinions on that. We, we won't get into any of that today. But the point being was he, he put the thought out there and, to, man, just to jump into the comments from these people, you know. And the irony of it is that all of these people within the comments were claiming to be of faith uh, to some degree, you know what I mean, by and large. I, I'd venture to say 95% of them. Um, and that could be a rash generalization right there. But from what I saw from from who I had read of the 20-something comments. Most of them seem to be taking uh, a pro-religious stance, but man, they sure were doing it in a hateful way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was really interesting to me that some of those that were responding that were clearly of an atheistic mind were so much more willing to engage in the conversation than some of those people would actually give them credit for. They didn't have arguments, you know? Um, very interesting, very interesting. Uh, and, but that doesn't happen just in religion, obviously. That happens in science. That happens, and I and I, I know that obviously it's we, like we've discussed in the last two articles, it's a um, it's a preservation technique. You know, we're trying to expend as little mental energy as possible to save that energy for survival, right? So I get it, but man, it sure does come across as ugly. So we'll jump into paragraph two. Sorry for that that diversion there, but. A little, little bit of personal context. Two months ago, I wrote an article on the importance of critical thinking in our age of information overload. Developing the ability to judge the veracity of the information we receive is important because there are many people seeking power or profit, those things matter, who will say anything in order to push their agenda. We must protect ourselves from the lies, propaganda, and fake news that we get from politicians, government, corporations, and the media. Um... Important to note that this was, again, 2018, and so it's, it's pre-pandemic. You know, it's not like this stuff hasn't been around for a long time. You know, anyways, people seeking power and influence will use verbal trickery in order to convince you to accept their point of view. They will speak confidently with tons of authority so that you won't scrutinize their words too carefully. But you can protect yourself by learning to recognize their logical and rhetorical fallacies. Here are the most common, and this is where we'll introduce our graphics, which I'm excited for this small touch of added production value. It'll go a long way. Ad hominem attack or name calling. In this fallacy, the proponent will attack their opponent by attaching a negative label to them rather than support their argument or opinion with facts. Ad populum or bandwagon. In this fallacy, the proponent will argue that you should agree because everyone is doing it. They want you to feel left out or encourage you to try to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, big time, big time. I mean, we, we, we it's a mass movement type of thing. I'm telling you, if you ever never read um, The True Believer by Eric Hoffer, um, I, I think he was, I don't know, like his position on faith or atheism or any of that stuff. I have no idea. Um, but I love reading his stuff none the same. The True Believer is, it's basically just like a study of mass movement, you know. Uh, and and it's, it's 
phenomenal. I would make that suggestion. Maybe I'll link that in the show notes or the comments, YouTube, whatever, the description. Uh, if you want to try to find a good book to sort of stimulate the mind in that way, uh, Eric Hoffer is a good one. Uh, so ad populum or bandwagon. In this fallacy, the proponent will argue that you should agree because everyone is doing it. They want you to feel left out or encourage you to try to keep up with the Joneses. I'll never forget my mother shutting this argument down by asking me, if all your friends jump off a cliff, are you going to follow? Right? Mm -hmm. And I would look at my mother and say, well, you did. (laughs) Just kidding. I look at everybody and do that. I look at myself. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you following? You're supposed to be leading. Quit following. It's actually, you know, the the screenplay Mm -hmm. that I'm writing when we're, you know, uh, Rabbit Hole. You know, our, our little hiking film, that's, it's pretty much just like a, it's sort of a metaphorical condemnation of social media. You know, you don't know where you're going and you don't know who you're following. You know what I mean? Um, all right. Anyways. So next appeal to the stone in this fallacy, the proponent will dismiss an argument as absurd or unworthy of serious consideration without giving any proof or reason for believing it is absurd, right? Yeah, fake news. It's all fake news. Well, prove it to me, you know. Uh, Cherry picking or card stacking. In this fallacy, the proponent will omit key information in order to slant a position in his favor. In this case, you are receiving a partial truth, and you will have to do your own research to find out the rest. Politics, definitely. I hate to say it, but, you know, we've talked about... If the shoe fits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, you know. The shoe matches the box. Put it in. Put it in. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like running through like shoe show. <laughs> you got the other one? You got the left shoe? You, can, uh, I get the, can, I, can I get this to nine and a half? I like how they put the two right shoes in right. the box, you know. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody walking out with two right shoes? <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> Did you actually put a shoe on and make it through no oh i was like i was like oh yeah can i get this one oh well because the one on the shelf was not yeah yeah and uh so they had everything in the back and okay yeah well i get the box and i gotta put it on it's like yeah i'm gonna need the left i'm gonna need the left one i'm gonna need the left one i love it okay let's see uh false analogy in this fallacy the proponent will present two things as being similar even though they are not. Um, golly, I don't even I don't even want to get into this one because it's so... The, the hard part about talking about bias and fallacy and all of that stuff is that just this stuff is... It's like it's inherently divisive because you're literally challenging someone's pattern of thought that they've probably established their entire life. And so you have to understand that you're welcoming in a certain dose of um, contention. You know, I, I'm not doing it purposefully. I'm just saying it's it's necessary for all of us. Just reading, just reading. Um, false dilemma. In this fallacy, the proponent will present only two options, as if these were the only choices. Also called an either-or argument because it offers no middle ground and disregards compromises, alternatives, or new ideas. I mean, I think it, it's always, I mean, we all have a choice. I know that we all have a choice, but 
we think our choices are either or. It, for some reason in society, we have just completely removed this idea of the middle ground. You know, like how are you going to sit there and tell me that the line that divides is not a path to, to straddle? Like it, it, it's, it's there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like I, I, just, I just have a really hard time. Um, and I've talked about this before, the, the duality of all things. Um, and I think that we have a really skewed perspective what dualism is from a philosophical and a religious standpoint. Uh, and I actually, I think that if I'm trying to draw any sort of metaphorical comparison there, it seems uh, relatively in line with even Jesus talking about the path being narrow. You know what I mean? I, I think that when you start paying attention to certain things, especially, you know, as we've talked about in our beliefs, when you start really like digging into um, those words, they, they start to take on a whole different meaning when you separate either or from all of it. You know what I mean? I think a lot of us take that either or approach to everything. If it's not good, it's evil. If it's not evil, it's good. If it's this, if it's that, it's that. It's like, yeah, well, you know, not necessarily like the yin and yang type of theory, yeah. but those things do flow together as one. And I said this the other day, it's, it's, you wouldn't say heads or tails are not a part of the same coin. You know what I mean? Um, so anyways, going down to straw man in this fallacy, the proponent will distort or misrepresent their opponent's position, then proceed to attack this false and fabricated viewpoint. Instead, this fallacy creates the illusion that the opponent's argument has been refuted when only a straw man has been knocked down. Uh, red herring. In this fallacy, the proponent will ignore a question, topic, or argument and attempt to shift the discussion slash debate to a separate issue which he or she is more comfortable addressing. Red herrings, I think those are interesting. Um, I'm not trying to give any, I'm not trying to get into this so much where I'm just putting my own personal spin on it. These are just, when I speak on this stuff, it's just more like they're more reflections. And anytime I reflect on some of these things, I'm very willing to be wrong, you know, even even taking a confident stance and dual against duality. I'd, I'd be I'd be very willing to entertain someone's ideas in support of duality. You know what I mean? I'm not saying anybody believes that is wrong. I just have a particular view on it. Um, now, red herring. Well, you know, I'd, I'd actually I'd rather hear someone drop their idea of what a red herring would be in the comments. You know what I mean? I think that'd be a better way to do that. So we'll move on to false cause. Uh, in this fallacy, the proponent will suggest that because two events are related, that one caused the other to happen. It's important to remember that correlation and or coincidence do not prove causation. I like that. Um, false cause, it's not saying, what he, you know, it, it's also important to remember here um, that correlation and coincidence do not prove causation. It doesn't mean that causation is not a thing. It's just that you have to identify false cause. You have to identify what you're attributing to be the cause of something. And we did discuss that the other day where personal biases, where um, if you didn't get a job promotion, you might blame it on something externally motivated. Whereas if your friend gets doesn't get the job, you might be apt to say that they didn't get that job based on their own level of competence, you know? And so it's sort of a, a, a projectionist sort of idea. Um, I, I believe in causation. I believe, I do believe everything happens for a reason, obviously, but 
I think that that's in order to establish that position of belief, I have to be very willing to admit what I've identified as a false cause. It doesn't mean that things don't happen for a reason, but you've got to be willing to identify false cause, you know, which I try to do um, poorly sometimes. It's a very difficult thing to but do. You have to actually you have to humble yourself in that. Re- absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, you know, so-and-so didn't do this for me because of so-and-so. That's how they feel about me. Well, no. I mean, that's, that's a false cause. Anyways, hasty generalization. In this fallacy, the proponent will use a sample size that is too small to support an overriding conclusion or to, to, to declare a universal principle. You, you see that in statistics all the time. You know, the... Uh, the, the, the data pool is just so small. It's just so small a lot of the times. Um, and you have to be able to say, all right, I'm not discounting this, but can you can you broaden the perspective on this a bit? Appeal to authority. In this fallacy, the proponent will use a famous person to endorse his position. You, Oh, my gosh. I get so tired of it. You must ask yourself what the celebrity knows about the issue and what they have to gain from it. Well, for one, it's always a check. You know, it's always, yeah, it's always some sort of institutional support to sort of bolster their social position. I mean, money isn't the only currency, you know what I mean? Especially we found that now in the age of social media, if if you have, if you have a level of influence that, that the monetization of that influence can come much later, building that, that level of support by way of community, that is, that's total social currency, you know? So it doesn't always have to be money, but more often than not, the purpose of it is money, right? Uh, so it's one thing to attempt to persuade someone with facts, but it's fraudulent when someone starts twisting them. Arm yourself against these fallacies by knowing and understanding how they work. Many times you won't know that a fallacy has been used until you do your own research and verify the information for yourself. Once you have mastered these, there are many more fallacies you can learn about by searching online. He goes on to say, print a copy of this article if you want to keep the fallacies handy. Um, You'll be able to use them every day. You can also use them for a fun drinking game during political debates. Every time you catch one, you get to take a shot. I wouldn't support that. But uh, one time we played a drinking game during the Alabama LSU game years ago. You remember that? That was not a wise decision. So I will never be in support of drinking games ever again. Um Press or please share in the comments example of these fallacies that you've encountered recently in the news or current events. So if you want to go to psychology today, get into this, you can. If you want to drop a comment on this video to get a conversation started, we'd love to have it. Uh, that'd be awesome. Um, and don't forget to just, again, go check out Robert Wilson's or Robert Evan Wilson's Jr. stuff um, on psychology today. I, I really like his thoughts and maybe one day we'll try to get him in for an interview. That'd be cool. So let's let's give a closing thought. Um, verbal sleight of hand, you know, can you identify it? And I'll be honest with you, the best way to identify verbal sleight of hand is to recognize when you yourself are guilty of it. You know, I remember being young, remember being like just that arrogant teenager, man, and using verbal sleight of hand to just continually make these circular arguments that didn't they didn't go anywhere and it's all because you didn't want them to go anywhere. I've been so guilty of that in the past of using circular argument. Um, and, and, and you realize why you literally run around in circles, you know, you're tricking yourself into thinking that you're making some sort of, of mental progress when really all you're doing is just, you know, deepening 
that circular rut, you know, that you've been digging for years. Um, I, I, the whole purpose, obviously, we just want to encourage people um, to dig themselves out of those ruts. There's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of ideas around how to do that. I'm no professional. As we've said in episode two, we dumb, you know, uh, you're, yeah, we all learning, man. You're, you're basically listening to a baboon read you articles on the internet right now. That That's the equivalent of what use over time is. So, uh, yeah, closing thought is, is identify some of that verbal sleight of hand in others, but more importantly, yourself. Uh, next series, we're going to wrap this up with Robert Evans Wilson Jr. Next, the next three episodes, we're going to talk about story, you know, I'm looking forward to story. I love storytelling. We'll see you next week. Also, two episodes a week coming soon. See ya. See ya.